If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of John, chapter 6. Next week, it will be one year that we started the book of John, and we are in chapter 6, verse 1. So, may Jesus come before we reach the end of of John. (laughs) It may happen. This is God's word. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his his eyes and saw a great company come with him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained, and above did them that had eaten. Then those men, when he had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This of a truth is that prophet that would come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea, and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had, was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. And he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was it the land whither they went? Have you ever heard this story before? This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. When the Gospel writers were writing of the life of Christ, they had so much to choose from. There were so many things that happened, so many things that one miracle after another. He did miracles all day long. Remember, a miracle is something that only God can do. And John, in his book, only chose seven, seven miracles only, and he called them signs. That these were signs that pointed to the fact that Jesus was God Almighty. That Jesus, this man, is actually our maker, the maker of this world, the maker of this universe, and our only Lord. And he chose this, but so did the other gospel writers. Something very significant is here. Now, it seems like a very easy story 
that there is a that there is a magnification or a multiplication of of resources that are brought to Jesus, and that's absolutely true. But when I went to to sew this together, I realized that I really needed to go more than to just John. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of extract what Mark will have written and what Luke would have written and what Matthew will have written to kind of tell the story a little bit more full because I really don't see the feeding of the 5,000 as the main story here. I see it far more. And it starts to me, the, the verse that stuck out to me more than the others was that one that you could easily have passed over, and that was the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So when I thought of that, the Passover, that was the very first thing we saw in John chapter 2 that this has already been an entire year, that the disciples have been with Jesus an entire year, and Jesus' ministry before the cross was only three years long. So these men had been with him a year, and he was ready for a final exam, that there was an annual assessment required of the students of Jesus in the school of Jesus. And this event, I believe, were for the disciples. I, I see it, I see it, of course, way more. God dealing with men, is, he never does one thing. He never does one thing for one reason. He's God enough to do everything at once all the, ta- all the time. But I'm going to start <clears throat> by reading not from John but from Mark. So Matthew 14, Luke 9, and Mark 6 are the other passages that give this event. So I'm going to start in 31 of Mark 6. And he said to them, Come you yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure as much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent him, and came together unto him. So you have to realize that this whole context of this miracle happens when Everyone is burned out and exhausted. They're, they're to the end of their rope. And Jesus realizes that they need to actually retreat and to go to a place where there is nothing, where there's nobody living, to a desert place, to a remote place. And so they got into the boat and went across the, the, the lake. So Capernaum and Bethesda is all up at the north. Uh, they probably have gone to the west where there are very little people living just as a retreat, just calm down, because it said they couldn't as much as eat. They just went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Throngs of people followed him all the time. And what I guess they didn't expect was that the people saw them get in the boat and they said, there it goes, and they were running along the, the, the coast of the lake watching the boat saying, he's going that way, and just grandma and a bunch of people and everybody with their bags and everybody running and just trying to follow him. That they followed him, I guess, against the fact that they were exhausted. They didn't know or care that they were exhausted. They realized that they had seen miracles. We, see, we saw that in John, that they had, seen, they had seen things, and they wanted to continue that. So let's read John. This is first three verses of John 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did of them that were diseased. 
And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So people wanted more. Now, I don't know whether there were more people with, with disease. They were like, well, look, he's, he heals people. Let's take him. Let's go. He's going that way. And they went with whomever it was, their friends or their family, people who needed him, needed his touch. There were other people who just thought this was a show. Let's, this is the biggest show in town. Let's go. I don't have anything to do. And so they just followed him. And so there is a great multitude, just scads and scads and scads of people. This is Mark 6.34 that Mark adds this interesting. Jesus, when he came out and saw much people, was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Matthew also says that, that he had deep compassion. He, he was moved. He saw these people. He saw the desperation, the, what would cause them to do what they just did, to follow him out in the middle of the boonies. <clears throat> you, could, you could see, you know, 20,000 people crawling over Cranberry backcountry trying to get to Jesus because they knew that he was there and they wanted what he had to give them or at least wanted to see something. They wanted to see something. And Jesus was moved with compassion. He felt in his heart the same towards them as they should have felt for themselves. See, compassion is a little bit different than sympathy. Sympathy is I'm feeling the same thing you're feeling. Compassion is that I have a, there's a movement in my heart about you, whether or not you know what you need or whether or not you want what you should want. He wanted more for these people than they may have wanted for themselves. They were willing to go out nowhere land to chase him down, but he wanted more for them than they wanted for themselves, even the ones who were willing to go all that distance and do it. And the, the Passover feast was nigh. That's only John says that. So when you think about it, because John is so sparse and because he only gives seven miracles, seven signs, it's, the time element's a little hard. You kind of say, you know, it's a quick, a quick read. You could read the book of John in 15 minutes easily. So the idea that year after year after year is gone, and when you have that kind of ministry obligation day after day after day so that they couldn't even sit down to eat, 12 months goes very slowly when you don't even have to sit down to eat. Now, when you see Jesus all the time, when you wake up and there he is and he's walking with you and you're alone with him and you see him in the fury of his activity of dealing with people and how he talked to people and how he interacted with people, you would think that these men were learning all the time. But the problem that I see from this passage is that he, they were so busy. They were so busy doing for God that they were missing God. They were missing actually learning about him or learning from him or learning to him, going to him because they were in the ferocious uh, Tasmanian devil swirl of their ministry. And so, so interesting that in seeming like Jesus says we need to get away, but Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He was testing them. The other passage that, that I underlined in double, in fact, the, the sermon on, on your bulletin is named this he said this to prove him so he knows what he's going to do and he asks Philip a question knowing that Philip's going to blow it but that he needs to test him 
Okay, so, so the, you know, a year in, they need to know more. They can't just see the fury of ministry. They have to know God, and they have to know him well enough because when he leaves, he said that they're going to turn the world upside down. He said they're going to do greater things than he has done. And they can't do this in the fury of their ministry. In the, the, when you're doing and doing and doing and going and going and going, you can miss God very easily. I think it's very, very possible. And so this was all about the disciples. Now, Matthew 14 adds this. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send this multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some victuals." Now, that's my favorite King James word, period. Go into the, into the villages and buy themselves some victuals." Can you see in that statement their kind of a callousness? Can you hear it? This is a scat of people. And the, all of them were busy. All of them did things. They were all walking around. Everybody else was sitting down. They were, they were in scurry mode. And they see these people not as people, but as a project or as a problem or as something that's bothering them or something that needs to be dealt with. You send them away into these villages so that they can go buy them some, some, some food because this is a desert place. I don't know. There's a, there's a compassionate tinge there, and there's also a, oh, my goodness, I'm just fed up to, my, to the top of my head. And it's, it's, in, it's easy, I think, to, to weary in well-doing. I really think it is. When you're working and 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 it's a thankless task and nobody gives a hoot, that you just sacrificed, and nobody cares what you just did, to keep doing it over and over and over again is really, really exhausting. It, it takes more than just your abilities. And I think this is the test. The test that Jesus was after today was that it takes, if you are going to follow God and minister in Jesus' name because of your thanksgiving for the salvation of your soul, and because of your compassion and love on people who don't know enough to want for themselves, you can't do it. And God needs to tell you that you cannot do this. If you are going to do, if you're going to follow in God's work with God, you are incapable of doing it. It can't be done. To whatever degree you think you're capable, okay, I'll do this much and you, you get the rest, God. I'll do my 1% or my 6% or my 16%, whatever, you, whatever ego you have about yourself. And God, you do the 20% or the 80% or the 90%, whatever you think that God does the rest. God has to tell us. And God is telling the ones who are his. These are the ones who are following him or working for him or doing for him. He needs to tell them. Matthew 14 adds this. Jesus says... They don't have to go away. They don't have to depart. You give them something to eat. Now, that's interesting. I think, I think that's really, really cool. They don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of pizza. If you're going to make, I don't know how many pizzas you'd have to make for that. Okay? Now, in my school life, <clears throat> everything is tests. Because you don't just go to school as a kindergartner and take a test when you're in 12th grade. And if you pass the test, they let you be a person or an adult. It doesn't work that way. In fact, some of the best teaching has to be the tests. Because if I fail a test, 
then the question is, why did I fail it? So every week after school, the whole basketball team at Webster crowds into the driver's ed room and watches the entire basketball game from the previous Friday. And that is their full practice. They don't bounce the ball at all. And you think, well, why don't they bounce the ball? If they want to get good, they should be bouncing the ball and trying to get a basket and getting around each other or whatever, passing the ball. But it is actually better for them to look at themselves fail. Okay? If, when you look at yourself fail, you're willing to say, what should have been different? What should, have been, what should, it, what should it have been? And how do I approach it again so that I don't make the same mistake twice? So it's not really a test. It's a test used for teaching. And this is what Jesus is going to do. This is back to John. We're in verse 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the great company come to him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Okay? Now, do you understand that in Matthew and Mark, it's the disciples who come to them and say, what are we going to do with these people? How are we going to feed them or whatever? Jesus is in John. John puts it, that, those words in Jesus because Jesus took that question as his, as, his, as his own question. Knowing what he was going to do, what should we do? How are we going to provide food for them? That's, I mean, that's a lot. And so he asks, he asks Philip, now, there's nobody that doesn't like Philip. Philip, there's, there's a lot of people that have problems with lots and lots of, of the disciples, lots of Bible characters. I think Melissa only liked Joseph only when she was a te teenager. He was the only one good enough for her. But, but Philip is, I, he's practical, and he's, he's, he's logical, and he's, I, I think he's, I say sweet, but sweet in a, go a godly kind of way. For instance, remember, He's the one who is told Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. We found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth, which, of course, Nathaniel was ready for the Messiah, and he instantly went, Nazareth. Sorry, the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. Sorry. He was already prejudiced because Philip in his zeal goofed. He goofed, and not knowing that Nathaniel knew much more about the Scriptures than he did, and he said, you know, Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth. And, and suddenly Nathaniel was like, woo, not interested. And instead of arguing with him and having a, a, you know, a Facebook argument, he simply said, come and see. That's practical. And I guess also possibly he's from the neighborhood. He's from, he's from Bethsaida, which is right on the lake. And so you ask Philip, where do you come around here? Somebody asked me yesterday, is there a, is there a uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken in Webster? They asked me that yesterday, and I said, uh, well, no, there isn't. Okay? So where are you going to go to buy all these people food? I, I just I wrote down this. Jesus doesn't ask recall questions. He only probes for understanding. He probes that you would know him. He doesn't test you so that he fails you. He doesn't give you the, you know, the question for, you know, what was the something under the picture on page 17. He doesn't give those kind of, of nasty questions. He gives questions of, do you know me? Do you understand me? When he was praying in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, eternal life is to know you, God. 
and to know the one you've sent. To know me. It, that's what it is. And so as Jesus is working in our lives, he doesn't care whether you know the kings of Judah in alphabetical order. Okay? And not that that's wrong. It's not that it's bad. But you could, you could certainly be a godly man and know it. But you could be a godly, an ungodly man and know it too. Right? I don't know it. But, but those are not the questions Jesus asks. He probes. So Philip pulls out his calculator. Now he's looking at a scad, scad, scad of people. And he goes, uh, hmm, 200 pennyworths of bread isn't enough to give everyone a mouthful. Like, that's more than a, a year's salary, and we wouldn't be able to even give anybody a tablespoon of food, which that wouldn't do them any good anyway. It would just be a waste of our resources. And I wrote something kind of cute. I kind of, I kind of laughed at myself when I wrote it down. I just said, Jesus only thinks to add. Or no, no, Philip only thinks to add. Jesus, I wrote, thinks to multiply. But then I realized that that was wrong too. Jesus is not multiplying anything. But Philip has a mindset based upon his own ability to make his life work. And I really think all of us are like that. We, we have a default. There's a default. We assess our difficulty in the light of our resources. So do I have enough money to write this check, to do this thing, to make it happen? Or do I know the right people to cut the bottom off of my closet door? No, but I, I have to say, I have a problem. How is this problem going to be due? What are my resources? Do I know people? Do I know a guy? How many people know a guy to do whatever you need it done? Okay. And the more people you know, that's networking. That's called, I know a guy because I, I'm going to have lots of problems in my life. And I need people to help me and I need to have things and I work for a living so that I, I don't have to be in need because I want to meet these needs. Well, that's Philip. He, it's not Philip's bad. He's not bad at all. He's just thinking, okay, we have a little bit of money in the bag. I think, I don't know, we have $18.30. There's so many people here and there is no um, Kentucky Fried Chicken in Webster. So what are we going to do? So what would that be? What would it look like? Now, John here says he already knew what he was going to do. This was, he said, in order to test him. I, I thought of Luke 6, where Jesus says, a, a student is not above his master, but when a student is perfectly trained, fully trained, he'll be like his master. Jesus is training us. When he saved your soul, he did not take you to glory. He saved your soul and adopted you as his child. You're perfectly his. You're not his employee because you're not good enough to be his employee. He wouldn't have hired you. He wouldn't have hired you. If you think you're going to work for, for God, you would have to be fired for incompetence. What he did was he adopted us into his family. He gives us full and lasting love, total acceptance. All of our sins are gone. But then he enrolls us in his school. He said, come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in my soul. So he enrolls us in school, and he works in our lives that we might truly be educated. Don't, I don't know how many times that I don't, I, I'm a, confronted with something, and I remember that I learned it. I don't know anything about it, but I remember we did that. Okay, that's all I'll remember. I think we learned that once. But it's not mine. I, can't, I have no facility. I can't do anything. So, so 
here's Philip. He's assessing it in light of his resources. And Jesus is really, now, he didn't expect this, but he is working that it might be true eventually. His, his response that Philip should have said was, Lord, this problem is too big for us. What can you do to help us? What will you do? What, are you, what will you do? If this is our problem and you are one of us, how is it possible that this can be done because we don't have the resources to feed these people? That is a, that's a faith. That's what faith thinks. So what God does is he puts you in school so that he renews your mind little by little, washing you and renewing your mind as you, as you deal with God's word, as you think about him, as, as you look at his glory. He changes you so that your preset, your default, is not what are my resources, how can I deal with this life that he's given me. He is wanting to convince you that you are now in an impossible situation, that there is nothing that you can do to do anything real in this life. If you're following him, you can't do anything. And that he wants you to simply go to Jesus. Now, you're still you. You're still using all of the gifts that he's given you, the skills you're giving you, the, the dynamics, the person that he's put you in touch with, everything about you he's using. But he's doing the great work. From him, through him, to him are all things. So my work is just a crown that I get to cast at his feet. It's nothing to me. It's nothing for me. It's from him. Jesus lets Philip flop. He lets him flop. With love, lets him fall. Now, we don't like to fall because we don't like to ever make a mistake. I know girls who would never utter a word in class because they're so afraid of saying something wrong that then other people would ridicule them. It doesn't work that way. You have a mindset, a growth mindset that allows you to say, every time I fail, it allows me to go further it goes me, so that I know what I'm doing. That's what, that's what shooting basketball in the driveway means. You shoot that ball and shoot that ball and shoot that ball and you know what you're doing wrong and then eventually you get it right and you try to do that again. And you do it again and again and again and again. That is all it is, is to test. And then eventually you're put in a situation where it's not just you, but it's other people. That's why we have to bumble around in this ugly, awful society. We cannot pull back. We have to go into the fray. There is no other way. Matthew adds this. This is fourteen eighteen. Jesus said, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let's, this is verse 8. I have to go to, back to John 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? He almost got the basket. Did you see it? Like if he would have just shut up, I would have been so proud. You would be like, boy." But he said, here's the lad. Here's something. We have some resources. We've got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? You see, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, had that same kind of a, of a mindset. Matthew 14 says... Jesus said, bring them hither to me. That's important. That's important. Bring those five rolls and sardines to me. Bring them to me. Okay? So 
They bring him to to Jesus. This is verse 10 in John 6. Jesus said, make all the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down and the number was 5,000. Matthew adds this. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay, so we're, we're feeding not more than, we're not feeding 5,000. We're feeding more than 5,000. I have no idea. So I got out my calculator. Add a, add a wife, add at least two point children or whatever, 2.2 children. I don't know how many children people have. I don't know where the point two archer comes from. Okay, you would think that either you're going to have one kid or two kids or three kids. I don't know about these point, point kids. But even if they only had one, that's 15,000 people. 15,000 people. And you've got five rolls and two fish. And that's it. That's silly. It becomes ridiculous. Jesus needed it to become ridiculous. He needed you to confront such an impossibility that you don't say, okay, how can I make that happen? Because there's no resources to do it. You can't say, well, I know a guy. Um, I know there's a food truck. It doesn't work that way. You have to come to the point where God puts you to an impossibility And then when you know that it's impossible, you go to him with that idea that it's impossible. Okay? We don't know what Jesus suffered to save us. We don't know. We don't know how hard that road was. We are lacking. We don't know everything. We don't have the capacity to meet this need. We're lacking information about other people and their hearts and their lives and what they've been gone through. We don't know what people have gone through. I look at the kids in my class. I don't know what they go through. I don't know what they go home to. I haven't sliced idea. I can't say, well, I understand. Let me fix it. I can't fix it. It's not fixable. God brings you to the end of your rope. And then he says, now here's an impossible task. What are you going to do? And he does it in order to test you. Because he knows what he's going to do. Jesus doesn't watch the high chair fall over. He watches you with the intent to do something. He has positioned himself. He has interposed himself in our lives that we might be rescued. And he does it on purpose. Jesus took the loaves. This is verse 11. And when he gave thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. As much as they would. This is Matthew, verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass and took the five loaves and the two fish that were looking up to heaven and blessed, break, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitudes. Underline that one. He gave the loaves to his disciples and he gave his disciples to the multitudes. That's what the sentence says. I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. His provision to the multitudes were not the loaves. His provision to the multitudes were the disciples that he had given the loaves to. Now, the disciples didn't know what was going on. The disciples didn't have an inside idea. Even though they had been with him a year, they didn't quite get it. So I went to the McDonald's website. This is according to the McDonald's website. If you are going to buy a filet of fish, It is exactly 4.7 ounces. 
And so if you were going to feed 15,000 people filet of fish sandwiches from McDonald's, you would need 4,406 pounds and a quarter of fish filets and 3,750 packages of buns. That's to give every person one filet of fish sandwich. Have you ever eaten one McDonald's anything and had as much as you wanted? But I'm just like, it just gets ridiculous. That idea of what would it take to give these people what they need, it, it just becomes silly. It just becomes silly. I need to point out the four gospel writers, this verse, when he distributes this. This is Matthew 4.19. Can you do this, Josh? He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed, break, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. This is Mark 6, 41. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples and set before them, and the two fish he demanded among them all. This is Luke 9, 16. When he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break and gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude. And we've read John 11. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. He didn't multiply anything. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that that lunch was all that was required. That's cool. That's so cool. Little is much when God's in it. Little is not turned into much. Please burr that into your mind. Little is not turned into much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever worshipped the Lord? Have you ever witnessed? Have you ever sacrificed in the Lord's work? Have you ever shared the gospel even once? That power is not because God can make your little into something big. It is all it was. Your prayer was all your prayer was. That was all it was. You didn't pray like the saints of God have prayed. You didn't give like the people have sacrificed before. You have not shared the gospel like Paul shared the gospel. You shared the gospel the way you did it. And God took that and in the power of the Holy Spirit did everything required to do something great. He made the provision for these people not by dividing it, dividing it, dividing it, dividing it, multiplying it, multiplying it, multiplying it. He did not multiply anything. All those people ate as much as they possibly could fill themselves with on five barley loaves, two fish. And there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. What does that mean? There were more baskets of leftovers than the meal. And it wasn't multiplied. It was the meal with leftovers from the meal. That's what God does. God takes you because you are thankful for your salvation. And you are looking to him in trust. And you're asking him for what you know you can't do. And you go in your weakness and stand in front of the tanks. And God does powerful, great things in this world in real time. That's amazing. It is amazing.
Those things that we offer God are the boys' lunch. That's what we do. We don't say, oh, I can't wait for God to to do more in me so that I can do greater things. No. You look in faith and simple faith and in your abilities and your vocabulary and your, your situation and you in faith look to God and God uses what you did powerfully enough to save a soul. Don't think you need to have a PhD in nothing. You only need to be brave because Jesus is powerful. All authority was given to him, period. For that reason, you trust him. And you trust him with impossible things. And that is the lesson. And these men were with him 24 hours a day for a year and missed it. They couldn't quite get it. You just couldn't quite get it. This is verse 14. Then those men who had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, This is the truth is the prophet that should come into the world. When they therefore perceived that they should come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain by himself alone. John is the only one to mention this. Those people wanted to force him to be king. Now, Jesus is king of kings and owns it all. And there will be a day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. But he was like, no, 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 no. No, you don't understand. Those people were like, let's make him king. We'll force him to do it. But it's not for these people that Jesus was doing this. Jesus was not showing off. This was not a show off. He wasn't trying to do something so amazing that, that it made people have the wrong idea. He was wanting those people to get ready for a storm that was coming in five or six hours. He knew what was going to happen today. And these people needed it today. And he needed to get them ready today. And he needed them to see him do what they could not do. And they were the one distributing it. He gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the people. They did it. And they all got a leftover basket. Twelve baskets. Why twelve? Melissa asked the other day, why didn't they give it to the kid? I would have given it to the kid and let him take it home. It would be like, you know, put it in some Tupperware and take it back to your mom. But they gave it to the disciples because Jesus needed an object lesson in front of their feet in a boat. They needed to be crossing in a storm, and they needed to have a basket full of leftovers in their lap. That's what they needed. He needed them to do it. He said, gather up the fragments. Let nothing be, you must, let nothing be lost. They each were sitting in the boat with a basket of leftovers from one boy's lunch after 15,000 people ate as much as they could cram. It was school supplies. That's what it was. He needed them to have a basket full of food to see it. And they miss it. They all fail the test. Every one of them fail the test. It's significant. This is verse 16. When evening was now come, his disciples went down to the sea. They entered in a ship and went over to, towards Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not come into them. Mark 6 said that he constrained disciples to get into the boat. They had to get into the boat. He told them to go into a boat while he went to a mountain alone to pray. It was interesting what he was praying for. He was praying. These people wanted to make him just king. He had a lot to talk to God about. And he probably prayed for a storm. He said, I need, a, I need a really strong wind right now, please, God. I think that's interesting. 
This is John 8, verse 618. The sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, so that when they were rowed about five or thirty furlongs, about three miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. But he said, it's I, don't be afraid. They watched. They were watching the boat. They were rowing it three, three miles across against the wind, and everything was tumultuous, and he was walking on the water towards them, <clears throat> and they were afraid. Mark 6 says they were toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary. But in the fourth watch of the night, which is 3 o'clock in the morning, when they saw him walking on the sea, they had supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they saw him and were greatly troubled. And immediately he talked with them out on the water and said, Be of good cheer, it's I. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. It's me. Do you understand that the walking in the water had to do with the fact that they missed the lesson of the loaves? The loaves were the lesson, and they missed it. So there had to be a second lesson. He was still teaching the same people that same lesson. He started in the early morning, and it's late in 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's still teaching the same lesson to the same 12 people. Because his lesson is, I can do anything. There's nothing I can't do. You can trust me to do impossible things. If I call you and constrain you to get into that boat and tell you that you must go to Bethesda, Bethesda, you must go there, then don't worry about drowning. It's not going to happen. If you must go to Bethesda, you will go there. If you must get in that boat, it means that it's my will that you be in that boat. You must be rowing contrary to the wind, and you will get there, and I can do anything. If I order you to do something, do it, because I'm the one with all authority, not you. It's not, I'm giving you everything I'm going to give you. It will be an impossible task. Do not think it's not impossible. And they willingly received him to the ship, and immediately the ship was on the land or where they went. I'm just going to leave you with that. That's awesome by itself. Amen.